Howdy, sports movie fans. We owe you a debt of gratitude for dialing up the 33rd installment of Scoring at the Movies. We talk about sports films around here, and we spoil sports films around here. I'm the runner-up for the state championship who should always be forced to wear masking tape on his hands, Ryan Ellis. And here's the re-gifter of an enormous tacky ring, the hero of Ratliff Stadium, Chris DiGregorio. Thank you, Ryan. And I was going to ask you to stop duct-taping my beard to my hands because I keep dropping the damn cans every time. Did I beat you to it? You beat me to it. It's duct-tape, right? It's not masking tape. You're right. Masking tape would be a terrible adhesive. <laughs> well, we're off to a bad start, aren't we? It's like we lost our starting running back and we're losing immediately. Yeah, it's as if you just immediately toppled backwards out of your recording chair and sprained your larynx, maybe? Like, what would be the podcasting injury equivalent of the booby miles? I just sound like this all the time. The equivalent would have been that we were going to bring in Bev for this recording, and she couldn't find her microphone, so we had to bring you back in again. Then I got hurt. And then you got hurt. Okay, right. Well, my intro there is implying that you're my dad, which is interesting. And also, I suggest before we get going any further, that we should hold hands. There's a lot of hand-holding in this movie. I know football players do that, but wow, there's a lot of hand-holding. Yeah, there's some interesting camaraderie stuff in this movie, up to and including the speech where it's like, look into each other's eyes and... Tell them that you love them and that you have no regrets. You've done everything you can do. Put them in your hearts. Yeah, Mike, Mike can barely do that. Mike Winchell. Oh, yeah. Okay, we got in the plot a little bit. Let's backtrack and do some opening of cans. We both have a can to open. What are you drinking over there? Oh, I'm quite pleased with this, Ryan. The beer is called Tomorrow I'll Be Perfect. Oh, wow. That's a great choice. That is a fantastic corollary, of course, to Coach Gaines's Be Perfect mantra, right? Can so. you be perfect? We'll see how this is. It's a nitro IPA. Apparently I have to give it a little shake before I pour it out. Oh, it looks like a smaller can, too. I know you have big hands, but that thing looks small. Am I wrong? <laughs> this is actually a tall can, Ryan. No, you're right. It's the same size. I have a can of pop. I'm going to open my pop here because we have a game, our quarterfinal playoff game in a few hours. I'm not drinking anything. Before that, I have a Diet Pepsi. Yay! But with cherry in it, at least. You know what I was thinking? You mentioned that... Fully work, fully work, fully work, etc., etc. Poor, poor, poor. Both with our frosty glasses. That's right. So you mentioned we have a game tonight. We're recording this later on a Friday afternoon. The game tonight is Friday night. Although I wish we were playing somewhere that actually had lights, because then we would have been playing under the Friday night lights while recording Friday night lights. Nothing's on a working Friday out afternoon. here. I'm saying masking tape instead of duct tape. It's not Friday night lights. It's Friday night sunset. Yeah. Well close we are late august so that sunset is going to go down fast yeah i say late august and we post this though on september 5th and that will be the beginning of the nfl season the day this goes up today's flick isn't an nfl movie of course but we think well i think it's amongst the best pigskin pitchers ever made you're really throwing the alliteration at yourself here early on pigskin pitchers you gotta warm up it's like a football game right you don't go straight into the gridiron action right you gotta warm up first you gotta stretch the muscles you gotta do proper cup of coffee for my proper copper coffee pot stretch out nice. the linguistic muscles first i'm also not that far removed from being asleep because i'm just coming <laughs> off night shifts <laughs> every time i record these i'm coming off night shifts aren't i without getting into the specific feelings about the movie this is a real solid football movie i was thinking after watching this that there's a couple sports at least that we've covered multiple movies of now right we've done the weird quote-unquote sports like especially lately yeah especially the murder balls and the bodybuilding or bring it on uh, the dodgeballs that you're leading We've done a number of baseball movies, obviously. We've done a number of basketball movies, of football movies, and... Boxing. Multiple boxing as well. Of all of the sports where we've covered more than one movie, football probably has the highest success rate. Any Given Sunday was a solid movie. Mm -hmm. Had a lot to say, even if it wasn't perfect. The Longest Yard, we both agree, it kind of fails as a comedy, but on the whole, it's actually a pretty good movie. And it's good football movie, especially. Yeah, and enjoyable to watch. And this, of course, is a very good movie as well. And I think those are the three football movies we've covered, right? Sounds right. And all three very successful in, in both the contemporary audiences, I think, enjoyed all three of those movies to greater or lesser degrees. And they succeeded as movies. Well, I'm a big fan of this one. When I first saw it, I remember liking it just fine, but I've liked it more every time. I don't know why. Maybe because of the emotion at the end. It really gets me. 
between the Billingsleys, especially. Really? Well, you know what? To be honest, when I watched that clip at the end on YouTube where he gives him the ring, the father does, and then you see all the guys praying and everything that happens, Mike's bloody and barely misses scoring a touchdown and all that emotion's going on. Seeing the clip of the Billingsleys made me more emotional than watching the whole movie because I think that Tim McGraw is pushed, or it's his choice to push a little bit too much. Not to say a father can't be like this, an aggressive, drunk asshole. But he almost, in some ways, has already redeemed himself. Not redeemed himself, I guess, but come back a little bit from being so hard on Don. A little bit before that, when he throws the ring away and the next day seems to kind of be apologizing. I guess yeah. he asked of the full arc by actually basically saying, Hey, kid, you separated your shoulder. You barely lost the game by one yard. You tried your absolute best. You deserve this ring. So it wasn't quite as effective that way that last little bit. But the rest of it was. And, of course, this is based on a true story. And that always yeah. helps any movie. Well, it doesn't always help any movie, but with sports movies, it does if they do it accurately. And I think they did in this case. No. Not was really. it that far off? As I understand it, it's... Right. The biggest problem is that it wasn't the state championship. It was the semifinals. And yeah. Dallas Carter, their tough opponent, who did win by that one yard, in the movie at least, went on to win the state championship. But then it was revoked because they had an ineligible player. Yeah. So I don't know who they... I didn't look that up, who actually won the championship. But it wasn't even, by default, Permian. Default. Somebody else won by default, not Permian. Exactly. You're right. This is based on a true what story. What else is so wrong, though? So obviously the details of the games themselves, the scoring and all that is clearly fictionalized. And you talked about one of the reasons why, because they didn't actually play in the finals. And I think the final score in that game was like 14 to 9. It wasn't a high scoring affair as the final game in this one mm-hmm. kind of was. A lot of the relationship stuff is fictionalized as well. The relationship between Don and his father is true to life, as I understand it, in as much as they had a rocky relationship and later reconciled and became very close. But apparently, according to Don Billingsley, mm-hmm. is that the, yeah. Yeah. none of the actual events portrayed in this movie were accurate. His father never did any of those things. So Charles wasn't a mean drunk. He could have been, for all we know, a total ass, and maybe he was a drunk, and maybe he was abusive in some way, shape, or form. It just wasn't to the degree or in the ways that apparently this movie portrayed. And there's other things like Booby Miles in the movie. He plays the first game. He's out of the game, but then ends up going back in because... Uh, Chris Comer can't find his helmet. Did oh, Booby hide his helmet? That's what I was going to ask It's never you. fully clear, but I really thought that after watching this for, I think, my third time now. Yeah. It seems like Booby wants to play so badly that he's just dicking with the rookie. I assume the same thing, because he's got a goofy grin on his face when Comer's being called into the game. As if he knew what was going to happen. Exactly. He just looked ready to get back in there again when he should have been ready just to sit out the remainder of the fourth quarter. Mm. So in the movie, he gets hurt in the first game for that reason. And in reality, apparently, he was hurt in a preseason scrimmage against another school and never played that season. The intent of the movie and the spirit of the movie remains true to the Mm -hmm. real-life story. It's not like that's way off. Booby did get hurt. They build him up so much in Stanley that either he had to fail in the big game or get hurt. In a movie like this, even if it is based on reality, there's no way the guy can succeed when he's built up to be this high school-level god. Yeah, and it made me wonder, actually, when I found out later about the Dallas Carter disqualification Mm -hmm. in real life Mm -hmm. for academic fraud, essentially. Early in the movie, there's a reporter talking to Booby Miles, and he asks him about his grades, and asks him how he's doing in school, what he's (laughs) studying, and Booby says... My grades are great. I'm an athlete. And it implied heavily over and over again that he's doing nothing academically, right? He's just playing football in the schools. Not working out either. Not lifting. He's not lifting. It's all God-given. Although you do see him running a lot in this movie. That's right. So he's doing some training. He clearly cares about the sport. But it's clear that the school is also fudging his academic record to get him on the field, right? So it makes me wonder if that was put in as a bit of a jab at Dallas Carter for winning later in the movie when in reality they were disqualified for a player in exactly that circumstance. It's funny that you mentioned one of your favorite moments in this movie is that relationship between Don and his father. That was actually one of my least favorite things about it. But I don't like as much as I used to watching it this time. Still like it a lot. Obviously I like it more than you did, but not quite as much. I think it was just a little bit too hyperbolic for me. Yeah, that's probably true. Like you said, Tim McGraw pushes the asshole envelope so hard. He is so abusive basically trying to knock his kid out in the middle of a practice because yeah. he fumbled the ball in the first practice yes, of the season. in a practice. And apparently coach Gary Gaines, the real guy, Billy Bob Thornton plays him in this movie. The real guy said he wouldn't let a father onto the field of and do not. what he did. And of right. course, if nothing else, he could say, it's my practice. This is my field. You don't belong here when you're not a coach. Right. Regardless of what he's actually saying to the kid. But even if it was something more positive and nice, you still have to say, get off the field. You don't belong here. Yeah. The media doesn't get to walk on the field. Girlfriends don't get to walk on the field. Fathers don't either. Obviously, they have to reconcile at the end of the movie because that's exactly what happened with these two in real life. 
but it seemed like there was a lot of buildup of him just being this total irredeemable drunken ass. And then suddenly he has a bit of a come to Jesus moment, like you mentioned, when he kind of apologizes for his behavior the night before. And then ultimately he witnesses his son giving it all in the final game. That completes the circle, so to speak. It just felt a little unearned the way they developed that arc over the course of the movie. I've always struggled to understand this level of passion for an high amateur. school football. Yeah. yeah. And you amateur were... at all. You're right. Because college is amateur as well. Yeah. But, but especially at this age. Especially at this age. Especially football, too. And now, granted, this takes place in the 80s, but it's still true to life today, I think, this level of passion for it. And knowing what we know about the dangers of the sport, putting 16, 17, 18, even college age kids through this kind of punishment just strikes me as being kind of crazy. And especially with this level of passion attached to it as a community. And this movie, I think, did a good job of explaining it in two different ways. One from the perspective of the players in the moment. That kind of goes to Coach Gaines' speech in the final game at halftime, talking about how most of you have been doing this for 10 years as kids, and this is sort of the pinnacle of what you'll ever achieve in the sport, so give it all now, because after this you ain't playing ever again. Which is maybe what Charles Billingley is trying to say to Don without actually saying it in those words. You probably won't ever get higher than this, although he's one of the better players on that team as a fullback. But this may be the last time you ever get to do anything as cool as this, so you better enjoy it right now. And the coach just says it better. It's kind of explicitly what Charles says in that quasi-apology to his son, is that I push you so hard, and clearly he's doing it wrong. This is not a defense of excess drinking. And part of me really wishes we knew more about Charles Billingsley's personal circumstances, even Don's personal circumstances, beyond just their direct relationship. Because maybe then we understand better why he's such a morose ass, and why he's a drunk. I think actually the movie's telling you. He was on this team a long time ago. Yeah. They won, Permian did, the state championship in 65, 72, 80, 84, and then the year after this in 89 yeah. with Chris Comer as the starting running back and Coach Gaines still coaching the team, and then also in 1991. That means that Charles Billingsley must have either been on the 65 or 72 teams. No. That was another one of the inaccuracies. Charles Billingsley actually never won the state championship. So he shouldn't have that ring. He lost in a final, apparently, one year with Permian, but they never won. Okay, let's go with the movie's drama then to make my point. In the world of the movie, he was on the championship squad in 65-72. So he actually says to his son, this is the pinnacle of your life. Because that's what happened to him. Yes. This was it for me, and I had to stay in this small town. That's one of the subtexts of this entire movie is that even the good players maybe even some of the best players in this team, will not go to college and certainly won't make it to the pros. As right. many people that are playing amateur sports right now and all the big sports, even Olympic-type sports, so many talented people, way more talented than you and I at anything will ever be, and they have no chance of making it. In that moment, he's the mouthpiece for the movie to a certain extent in that they're in Odessa, Texas. It's like 100,000 people in the greater Odessa area. Yeah, it's east of El Paso, but it's the north west part of the state i think is where it's supposed to be they call it a small town it's still a hundred thousand people it's not tiny by any stretch but you're right for the vast majority of these people even the best of the best as far as these kids go they're likely going to have a low to middling career where they just barely scrape by and have a family look at booby he was the one that probably could have made the nfl but because he tears his acl he's not going anywhere yeah it's the fickleness of the game and he's not got a good education he's got a great uncle loves him he loves him back, and then he ends up, according to the title card, having kids, and I guess maybe he got married. I don't know about that. But they show that one little moment. This movie's good for subtle touches, I think, and yeah, some of them are over the top. But when he's watching a couple of guys pick up the trash, the sanitation workers, as if to say, that's my future, or something like that is my future. Yeah, it's a realization to him, right? One of the things this movie doesn't do, I think for better or worse, is it doesn't really espouse a direct position on this. It doesn't say, well, their obsession with the sport is good, their obsession with the sport is bad. It's just portraying the reality. I think the movie is saying it's bad, actually. Not brutally it? bad, because the boosters are so bad, they're almost worse than Charles Billingsley is. They basically threaten the coach. They get to the state championship after the guy lost his best player. Great coaching, incidentally, for Gary Gaines and his staff to lose their... Jimmy Chitwood, effectively, in Hoosiers. Yeah. This game changer. Lose him in the first game of the year, which obviously changes your entire game plan. Bring in a third stringer, much like Jamie Foxx on any given Sunday, because Chris Comer was the third stringer. And he was obviously a very good running back, but he was also green. And to get to the state championship under those odds, and these guys are still basically saying to Gary Gaines, win or else. They didn't fire him. He came back and he won the next year. He was there for a few more years, yeah. That's do or die kind of pressure to put on somebody. And from that perspective, yeah, it could be perceived as being bad. To me, anyway, it seemed like it was saying this sport brings meaning to the lives of people that otherwise that is true. have a very dreary existence, for the, better or worse. The boosters and the players themselves. Well, this ties and their into families, my, right? And their families, too, exactly, because yeah. they care so much. This ties into my nutshell. Bruce Willis, at the end of Armageddon, was under less pressure than these guys are. <laughs> 
<laughs> the guy who's going to save the planet, also a Billy Bob Thornton movie, in fact, he was under less pressure in that movie than these guys are. And like they say when they're skeet shooting, the three main yeah. characters, Mike, Don, and Brian Chavez, do you feel 17? I don't feel 17. And it, look at Mike, good. the guy who never smiles. Well, once, when Booby finally breaks him up. Booby's actually kind of funny. Derek Luke, who's a good actor. He hasn't made that many movies over the years. He was a no. basketball guy in Glory Road, which I mentioned a couple weeks ago in prepping for this podcast, or promoting this podcast. He'd never really played football before. He's pretty convincing in the few scenes he has. He's not in the movie that much playing any kind of football. No. But Mike Winchell is so stressed that when we first see him in, I guess it's probably the late summer, learning plays with his mother. And a lot of people do this anyway who aren't nervous people. But that leg thing, you know, when you bounce your leg up. The season hasn't even started yet, and he's already this stressed out. So I think the movie is saying, without being a complete indictment of this, because you're right, it does bring meaning to everybody involved in this that cares about it, especially when you win games, and especially when you get to state championships. And when you do win the state championship... But it probably isn't very healthy either. Oh, no, of course not. And from my perspective, like I said off the top, I've never been able to understand this level of fanaticism for something like this. I've never been able to understand the amount of pressure that they put on kids of this age. Mike, when he's sitting down with Coach Gaines, the coach said, what's wrong with you? Why are you playing like a putz out there? And he said, I'm not right in the head. From the perspective of his mother having some sort of vague mental illness I took from this movie, they don't really describe it too much. Also from the perspective of understanding that the entirety of his future really seems to be riding on the success of a quarterback because the only way it seems like he's going to get into any kind of decent post-secondary school is through some sort of football scholarship and the only recruiters we see talking to him say, we'll offer you something if you win state. So he says, I'm not right in the head. And the coach says, well, you know, sometimes you got to just let it go and realize that shitty stuff's going to happen to you and that's kind of life and deal with it. So I get what you're saying. I personally agree. I just don't know if the movie's necessarily taking that stance. Part of it is because of Billingsley's dad, who just seems like he had a nightmare of a life, and the only thing keeping him alive is his memory of that one glorious year. And living through his son now. And living through his son. And that leads to a lot of negative crap and horrible stuff that he does. And one of the creepiest things I've ever seen in a football movie, which is him staring at Amber Heard while she's getting it on with Garrett Hedlund. Before you move off of her, did you... (laughs) Bad choice of words, maybe. <laughs> Before you applies, though. <laughs> applies to the situation. Did you see Aquaman from last year yet? I've seen it now on I've tried, DVD. and I've not successfully made it through. Just because we talk about, can you score at this movie? And it doesn't apply to this scene. We'll talk about that in a second. Well, it does apply, actually, because it is a sex scene, or almost a sex scene. But in Aquaman, she should have red hair all the time, because she is stunning in that movie. And she looks great in this, too. She's a great-looking woman, no question. Young just, at this point, too. Oh, yeah. I guess they all are, but she was quite a young girl. Well, she's meant to be a high school girl, obviously, mm-hmm. and awful choice on Don's part to bring a girl home and try to get it on in the living room when you know your father's home? He should know better, yeah. Come on, find a more private place. His dad shows up staring at them while they're going through the foreplay motions Mm. here. All that was missing was him having his finger in his belly button slowly just revolving (laughs) it there while licking his lips and it would have just been the ultimate creepy scene. Although he does say something to the effect of Hi Maria, damn girl, you've grown up or something like that. I exactly. Oh God. Yeah. I wonder, incidentally, if Tim McGraw's father, because this is Tim McGraw, who is in The Blind Side as a father figure, completely different than this, as I recall. I haven't seen The Blind Side in 10 years, but I think he's a completely supportive, banal guy, contrast to this. But I wonder if his father, Tug McGraw, the baseball pitcher for the Phillies, and I think the Mets as well way back when, was this hard on him. You think? I'm just speculating. Maybe he actually took from that. But let's talk about can you score, because we're talking about sex scenes in this. I would say yes, but only if you instantly feel guilty about fucking hot young girls like Mike does. And I do mean instantly. (laughs) As soon as it's done. Oh my God, what's this going to mean for my future? I had sex just now, and I can't even enjoy that. Yeah. Early on in the movie, you get all of the workout scenes. You get scenes of Derek Luke running shirtless and all of his ripped buffness. And you get the party scenes with all the young kids. And maybe that's your chance, right? If you accept that most of these actors are probably closer to 30 than they are. Derek Luke was 30. Yeah, so they're not really the 16 or whatever they're meant to be on screen. You're kind of safe that way. But then you like pivot into this hour-long stretch of the movie where it's kind of bleak and mm-hmm. emotionally straining. And I think at that point, you're hitting Flaccid City, right? Like, ain't, ain't nothing <laughs> happening there. But then towards the end of the movie, you've got all this emotional catharsis, all of these people coming to an understanding about their situations and their future, and it feels good, and it's not sexy, but you know what? Maybe you can emotionally connect with somebody at that point, Ryan. So you got phases through this movie that you can work through. How's that for the most in-depth and complex analysis of scoring at this movie? It might be the best one we've ever talked about in 33 episodes. (laughs) I was just clicking to see Amber Heard, by the way. was born in 1986, so when they shot this, she was probably about 17 years old. Okay, so close your eyes for that specific moment and just focus on Derek Luke. How's that? Then we're safe, right? 
He's a beautiful man himself. He is. He's a stunning slab of running back man, I guess. He's a running back in this movie. Running back, yeah. Yeah, okay. Sure. And so is Comer. Okay, let's back up and talk about the particulars. Friday Night Lights was released by Universal and Imagine Entertainment, the Ron Howard and Brian Grazer company, just shy of 15 years ago on October 8th, 2004. Mm-hmm. The box office take was double. It's smallish budget. It didn't cost a lot. didn't make a ton, but it was an okay hit, I guess you could call it. 81% of critics liked the film on Rotten Tomatoes. 81, not bad at all. 85% of audiences, and the average for critics was 7.13 out of 10. That's some of the better scores and numbers and whatnot that we've ever seen, I think, for our sports movies. It makes a lot of sense, I think, too, for the quality of the movie and the I way it's presented. This is one of the top five movies we covered, I think, just purely as a movie. Field of Dreams. I guess Million Dollar Baby, probably. Hoosiers for me. Hoosiers, I could see. For all of its cachet, I would think that The Natural would rank below this as a movie. We didn't love that movie. Friday Night Lights was 48th of the 2004 U.S. box office. Shrek 2 was the big hit that year and was number one. And two movies we've covered from 2004, Dodgeball was 19th and Million Dollar Baby only a few months ago we covered that, was 24th, the Best Picture winner that year as well. I love that Dodgeball somehow outgrossed both Million Dollar Baby and Friday Night Lights. And it is the worst of the three movies. Not that it's bad, it is funny. It's still a funny movie. It's a hilarious movie. And in fact, one scene in Friday Night Lights when they do the playoff bracket and they zoom in on a particular matchup and you get a little clip of the game and then you see the team moving on and it zooms out to the bracket again in that sequence. I don't know if this was intentionally done by Dodgeball, but the sequence where they are in the final tournament and going through the bracket is presented almost identically. You've got really? the zoom out of the bracket, the zoom in for a clip of the game, the Vipers winning or something, and then a zoom out as that team name shifts up the bracket to the next round. So, I think Dodgeball came before this, though, so there couldn't have been an homage of any kind. Same year, I think it was maybe more like the summer, because okay. well, this was October 8th. Okay, so it was just coincidental, but the way it was presented flashed me back to Dodgeball, and I had a little Chuck Norris giggle for some yeah. reason right at that moment. But... Well, it's fun to tie in movies, because this same year, Billy Bob Thornton was in the Alamo, also set in Texas, obviously, and also about... Oh. Well, that wasn't a narrow defeat, that was a crushing defeat. <laughs> <laughs> but he was involved in some disappointments that year. One of the great actors, by the way, Billy Bob Thornton. Bev and I have covered him in Bad Santa, and he was also the coach in Bad News Bears. Now, can I big, ask you ba- a- big Bad Billy Bob Thornton, I guess you could call him. Now, after you guys did Bad Santa, were you able to talk straight for a week afterwards, or, uh, <laughs> or what? No, I was not. I don't know if <laughs> I, I was Walk straight for a week! Well, of course, the line is, you don't get shit right for a week. Oh, shit right, damn it. Because he's inside the anus there. I haven't... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we got an R rating in this one. We already did. But I haven't seen that now. movie, I don't think, since its original. Really? You should the watch that. We covered that two years ago, going into Christmas. No, last year, going into Christmas. Does it hold up? It was a couple years ago, because it was building a Bad Santa too. We still like it a lot. Yeah. Bad Santa, Elf, and It's Wonderful Life are three must-sees for me. If not every Christmas, then most Christmases. One more plot it for Friday Night Lights is it was nominated for the sports category of the top 100 genres... I don't know if it should have made it necessarily, but I would have been okay if it had. I'm frankly a little bit surprised that it didn't make the top 100. Top 10 of the sports, specifically. Oh, top 10. Sorry, I thought you said top 100. Mm, If they had done a top 100 sports movies and this didn't make it, that would have been kind of insulting. Exactly. It was one of the 50 nominees, so it would kind of have to make it, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, top 10, I can't think off the top of my head, a top 10 ranking, but this I could see being in that fringy, maybe make it. Wouldn't be insulting, that's for sure. That wouldn't be insulting. No, it's a good movie. Now, let's lead into Billy Bob here, and we'll first talk about the real coach, Gary Gaines. So he was the coach from 86 to 89, and then he left, I don't know if it was on his own terms, but he won a championship in that time frame, so he must have been, I hope, on his own terms. Then he came back into 2009 to 2012, and in that first stretch of four years, the team only lost seven games. How many games did they play, though? I took it from this movie that the regular season was ten or something. I don't think it was that much. It sounded like, when did Permian finish record-wise in this movie? Like five and one, I think? Didn't they lose a few times? In the regular season, did they? Well, after the first loss, after Booby's out, they've had to change everything. And if they've lost one game and they got blown out, granted, there are already for sale signs on his front yard. That also is great shorthand to tell you where this town's mind is. You're gone already. He lost once. He didn't lose. The team lost once. Not not just one for sale sign. It was a million for Mm. sale signs from various agencies put up there. It's almost kind of funny, but it's also mean-spirited. But that was the only loss, right? The blowout? I thought thought they lost more than one. I guess I should know. I could look this up. Although maybe the movie's not accurate to reality. We no, got that coin not. flip situation. They drive a long way. One of those teams, of course, did drive a long way for nothing, which is what happens in the end, too. They drive a long way to Dallas. or yeah. Sorry, to Houston, not to Dallas. The Astrodome is where they play the final game to lose. So it's a near miss for one of those teams, almost for them, and the coin flip, and then it's a near miss in the actual game. Although, so okay. what you're willing to do, all that kind of thing. The only thing that they have in their back pocket for a tiebreaker is a coin flip. Yeah. They don't have head-to-head record or scoring differential. Point differential would be what it should be, I yeah. think, because they maybe didn't play each other. Let's just all flip a coin and see who gets in. That struck me as insane. Apparently, that was true. 
the teams mm. involved were different, but that is exactly what happened. In a public setting where the coach, Gary Gaines, has to say, don't touch that to one of the media guys. Yeah. Well, why are these coins open to be touched by anyone in the first place? You shouldn't have to tell anyone not to touch it. And did you see how far they were throwing them to? Yeah. That coin was like a good 10 or 15 feet away from Coach Gaines. Mm. Like he was just rifling Just build the, the drama. That's all that was about. <laughs> by the way, when they are losing at least a game, I thought it was multiple games. Let's say it is multiple games. This is a reasonably good question. Reasonably good question. <laughs> the sound effect, maybe we can use that for Bev and I. We talk about these quite a bit in our podcast. You and I don't so much. But the reasonably good question is, okay, they lost Booby, And they obviously have the ball a lot more often when they have a great running back like that. But they lose that first game by a mile. I think it's yeah. 42 points. Why is the defense so bad? Because Booby's not playing anymore. The defense is the same people. I think you've raised this point before. Maybe when we talked about the natural and some of these other things. When this team is good... They are great. But when this team is bad, they are awful. That is the natural. You're right. Okay, we lost our running back. Like you said, our offense sputters a little we bit. We lost by six. No, they lose yeah. by 46. Yeah, all of a sudden, you go from like blowing out a team to just getting blown out yourself. It's like a 90-point swing in the course of one game from one player. How big is a football roster? You've got, what, 11, 12 guys on the field at a given point, plus all the... It's 11, isn't it? 12 is CFL. Okay, fair enough. Maybe your running game suffers. Maybe you don't have quite the clock control that you did because you don't have the running back anymore. But what the hell? And Mike Winchell in particular, when he's good, he's good. Mm -hmm. But when he's bad, apparently, he just doesn't know what the hell's going on. Granted, you see him get clobbered a lot in this movie. Mm -hmm. So the defensive line for this Permian team was just like a sieve. This offensive line. Offensive line, sorry, mm -hmm. for this team was just a sieve because Mike just gets pummeled every time. Especially in the championship. During the championship game, I was like Ralphie in The Simpsons. That's enough! That's enough! <laughs> in the early part of the game, at least, they're getting their brains beat. And much like in Hoosiers when the game starts... He's, he's already <laughs> dead! <laughs> but in Hoosiers, these guys are good! And then somehow the white kids come back. By the way, there's another tie into those two movies. But a flip side in this case... Well, actually, no. This is an integrated team. There's black and white players on Permian. Yes. But the Dallas Carter team is all black. And again, we're rooting against the at least primarily black team in Hoosiers because they're the team we don't know. And it's been brought up. We brought it up in that podcast last year for Hoosiers that we should be rooting for what would be the inner city team. But there's racial issues in this movie here and there, and it's not really all that big an issue. I was reading before I watched the movie about how the racism in the book is way more blatant, and I took a note, so there's no racism in this. And then there's somebody at one of the dinners early in the film, a booster or whatever, that literally says, I think the N-word, about Booby yeah. before he got hurt. But other than that, this movie isn't really about race, except when they have the conversation with the Dallas Carter representatives about how they won't get a fair shake if they play in Permian. Right. And then the reverse seems to be true about going to Dallas Carter. So then that's when Gary Gaines suggests, let's go to Houston. And then the referees is an issue. And I looked, there are black referees. In fact, one of the black referees is the one that makes that really bad call. And what was clearly oh, yeah. a trapped ball and not a caught ball, which I guess you could argue made the difference in that game. I don't know if they scored in that drive, but it might have changed the clock situation for one thing. Oh, it definitely changed the clock situation. Because they had the ball longer than they should have. This movie stays away from the race issue by and large, but I did think... Peter Berg, right, was the director? Yeah, Peter Berg. I thought that scene that you discussed with the representatives discussing how the game was going to happen, the final, that was Peter Berg's attempt to shine at least a little bit of light on the clear racism of the time in Texas, because if I was planning a game, the color of the skin of the refereeing officials would not have crossed my mind here. But they're right to question it. As soon as that conversation was happening, I was thinking, oh yeah, 1988... U.S. South, of course, if you're Dallas Carter, you're concerned about something like this. And of course, if you are Permian, you're concerned about the flip side of it. Because if you have, frankly, an all-black refereeing team, who knows? Maybe they are rooting for the inner-city kids. Human nature. It's human nature. Maybe the football players themselves, as portrayed in this movie, don't have a problem with each other based on the color of their skin. In reality, there was a lot of stuff going on oh, we sure can't forget about. But one of the questions that came to mind as soon as Gaines suggested the solution to this problem, like a neutral site, let's play at the Astrodome. Okay, hold on a second here. This is a high school football game, and at the drop of the hat, you can decide, yeah, we're going to go play football at the Astrodome. Don't you have to, sometime in advance, book <laughs> the biggest stadium in the state? The Astrodome at that time, 1980s, would that have been a Houston Oilers playing there in the 80s? Right. Yeah, the football team is playing. The baseball team would have been done because the championship took place in December. Yeah. But you're right, the football team would have been playing. And then again, this, I guess, would have taken place on a Friday, so there's no conflict with the actual Oilers. They would have been playing on either the Sunday or the Monday. Hey, guys, Astrodome. I'm sure mm. we can hop on in there, and everyone's like, yep, that makes perfect sense. Let's do that. <laughs> Nobody suggests uh, we can try, but as a fallback, maybe we play at this high school if we can't mm. find the Astrodome. 
Astrodome it is, guys. Let's do it. It's probably more complex story in reality than that. But as far as the racism thing goes, we talked last week or two weeks ago when Pumping Iron about apartheid. That was something you brought up in a very smart little addition to that podcast, I thought, because Serge, the black bodybuilder, has to go to a place that doesn't want him. Exactly, And yeah. part of what we learn in that movie in Pumping Iron is get out of your own head and pose properly. And it may not seem like you need to, but according to that movie, you do. And Lou can't get out of his own head. So how does Serge feel? Well, what about this movie with all these black guys, the Dallas Carter team? Although that's Dallas, that's more metropolitan, so maybe they're not having to deal with it quite as badly. Although, let's face it, racism is everywhere in the entire world, certainly in the American South. But then the Permian team, a small town. Mike is white. Brian is Mexican, so the safety is what Jay Hernandez's character is. And Don's white. But then Booby and Chris are black. Ivory, the constant game face lineman, the defensive guy who never speaks up and barely says any words in the entire movie until halftime when he's pissed off. Come on! What's we doing out there? Never played football before! Did you like it as much as I did? Preacher, right? Yeah, they call him Preacher. They call him preacher. His name's Ivory Christian, according Ivory to Ivory Christian, yeah. The fact that he said next to nothing the entire movie, and then he's the guy that can't take the nonsense that they're showing on the he's field. He's even more serious than Mike is in the yeah. whole film. I don't know why they took out the racism stuff from the book, but maybe it would have been a matter, just like if we'd learned more about Charles Billingsley, of the movie being two and a half hours long. Yeah. Now, on that touch, I mentioned we were going to talk about Billy Bob. Let's get into Coach Gary Gaines more here. Terrific actor. Bev and I have talked about that when we've covered him. I don't know if we've done anything other than Bad Santa, but on Bad Santa for sure, we said nobody else maybe could have played that character. Jack Nicholson and Bill Murray were in the running for Bad Santa, and they would have been funny, but they wouldn't have had the pathos, I don't think. And I love Nicholson and Bill Murray, but I think he was better cast, Billy Bob was. In this movie, and this is not a criticism on him, unlike maybe Charles and some of the kids, you don't get into his head. You barely learn anything about the coach. He is sort of the Gene Hackman character in Hoosiers, including some similar scenes with, well, more in this movie, actually, with the boosters. Very similar to Hoosiers, where Norman Dale goes to the barbershop, and everyone's telling him, we got to do his own defense, and got to do this, and got to do that. It's been nice talking to you guys, and he walks away, <laughs> and he never accepts their counsel again. Not that he was really accepting it then. Gary doesn't say anything like that, but they come into his office, and you can tell they're trying to tell him how to play the game, yeah. or coach the team, I should say. And it's the same kind of attitude. He just doesn't give it away as much. But what did you think of his performance? Because he is a top-billed actor. He doesn't have the most screen time, I don't think. Probably Lucas Black as Mike Lucas Winchell Black. has the most screen time. But anyway, what would you think of him? I love Billy Bob as an actor as well. I think he's incredibly talented. I thought his character in this movie was very similar to basically all the characters. Because we don't get a ton of insight into most players on this team. Mike, we know, has a difficult home life for reasons that are a little bit vague to us. We don't really fully understand what's going on. We know he has a sibling somewhere because we have a scene of him calling him on the phone. We know the mother's got some kind of issues that are a little bit undescribed. And they're bad enough she can't go to the game, and she's as obsessed with this team as everyone else is. Exactly. She's dying for him when she watches him on television, barely miss scoring a touchdown. That's right. We get a number of scenes, obviously, with Don Billingsley and his dad being abusive towards him, but we don't really get much insight into Don's backstory nor his father's situation we just don't get a lot of character development generally connie Britton, who plays billy bob's wife not her fault but does nothing in this movie yeah, there's nothing for her to do except periodically show up and give her husband a pat on the back yeah. or something that like, little kiss thing they both do each other a couple times yeah that's about it you can't really worry too much about the intricacies of each individual it just struck me that this was more about the community and what the game meant to them, yeah. as well as the interpersonal stuff on the team and the kids themselves and what it would mean to them as a whole. There's not a lot of development to Billy Bob's character. I think for what he's asked to do, he's very good at it. Mm -hmm. He does a great job of conveying what it must feel like if you're in that position. Early on, you get the radio show, the talk show. You hear this quite a lot through the movie. And these yeah. guys, the coach and the players, are masochistically listening to it throughout the movie, it seems. Yeah, they're not like the pro sports athletes who say, I don't pay attention to social media. These Which may days. not be true, incidentally. Well, they may people. not be, but they all say it, right? But, but we know these guys are listening to this because they always are. Yeah, exactly. And so you hear, okay, Coach Gaines is making more money at the school than the principal. He wants what's best for the kids, but at the same time, he understands that if he loses or he does something wrong, he could be out of there again. And you get a scene with his daughter speaking to him and Connie Britton at one point saying, are we going to have to move again after the boosters show up and give him a hard time about winning the finals? No, yes. So you get the sense... One parent says no, the other one says yes at the same time. Yeah, you get the sense that as a high school football coach, he's gotten kind of used to through painful experience. Or no, he says maybe. Isn't that what it is? He says maybe, and she, and says, she says no. The right. mother says no, right. So, Connie Britton, by the way, was in the TV series that came out of this, 2006 to 2011. There were some big-name actors now. They weren't big-name at the time so much. Kyle Chandler's a different name in that series. I never saw that series. I know nothing about it. But he wasn't Gary Gaines, but he was the coach of the team. 
Michael B. Jordan was in it for a little while. One of was the many really? things he did. One of the many prestigious yeah. things Michael B. Jordan did before he became a big star. Jesse Plemons. And then yeah. Taylor Kitsch, who hasn't really had a career because he said some flops in the movies, but he made his name on that show. And then Connie Britton, I think, is also the wife in that as well. So hopefully she gets more screen time and things to do than she did in this. This movie is the second time that Lucas Black and Billy Bob have teamed up, right? Obviously, it's... Mm. Yeah. I don't know why this this popped into my head as I was watching the final game and the halftime speech that Coach Gaines. Everyone circles around the coach. They've all got the hands on each other's shoulders, and Coach Gaines holding hands more so, isn't it? Some of them, yeah. Even in the locker room, they're holding hands. Yeah, they're a touchy feely group. What do you want? Part of me really wanted Billy Bob to stand up there and give him the old like. You know, I walked in, I saw my mother laying there (laughs) naked on the floor, Jesse just having his way with her. I grabbed a Kaiser blade and some, some people call it the sling blade <laughs> I call it a Kaiser blade it's <laughs> a long piece of wood and blade just kind of looks like a banana and uh, folks down on the highway they use it to cut weeds and whatnot and I whacked Jesse upside the head with it for sending him flying off and reckon that didn't do it for me and I give him one more shot the sharp end of the blade cut his head plumb off and mama she stand up start screaming at me what'd you do with Jesse and I figure she must have liked what Jesse done to her, and I reckon that made me madder than anything. So I hit her, too, and killed her. And then just watched the look on the faces of all the kids. What the hell was that, Coach? Two things. One, we have found your impression. <laughs> I think I do a pretty decent sling blade, but you do a better one. And you had that speech down pretty cold. There were a few little things you didn't get there, There's but you some got notes almost I all missed, of it. That was very good. I was trying to pound it out as quickly as possible. The second thing is, Billy Bob has done this on movie sets that have nothing to do with sling blade. There's some really? outtakes on the ice storm with him and John Cusack. They're about to shoot a scene, and he does his sling blade thing. I don't know why. Maybe he just does this in every movie. He seems like one of those actors like Robin Williams could be do a drama or a comedy and before with Robin Williams had to be a drama because he would have been funny all the time anyway but you can go from making the crew laugh to okay we're ready Robin and action and right into the drama and Billy Bob seems like the same kind of guy so he maybe did do that for these guys to break (laughs) them up a little bit before they shot the scene that's an outtake anyway I desperately want to see if it exists anywhere I pray it shows up on YouTube at some point. Well, I, I saw this on demand. Or no, you probably saw it on Netflix, right? Yeah. So there's yeah. no special features for us to watch. I probably should buy the DVD because I'll watch this movie again one day. I'd like it that much. You don't have three copies of this DVD, right? I do not. I don't have any what copies. What is going on? I think it's one of those that's just always available, so I didn't need I don't really even need know who you are anymore. <laughs> but yeah, Lucas Black was the kid in Sling Blade. And he was also in 42. He's Pee Wee Reese in that movie. It's not a great movie, but I really like his role. There's that scene, I think it was based on reality, where he puts his arm around Jackie Robinson to show all the racist fans. I'm a white hick southerner, and I like this guy. He's my teammate. What the hell's wrong with you people? Lucas Black, he's popped up in a few movies over the years, and he's never the kind of guy to me that blows me away with his performance, but I always leave the movie thinking, yeah, he was pretty good. Mm-hmm. He's not a showy actor. Maybe that's why you say that. In this movie in particular, as you mentioned early on, Mike is morose, just super serious, never seems like he's having any fun in the movie. The stress is going to kill him. Yeah, until the final game when he sort of shows a little bit of emotion and love for the game. I don't know about that. When they lose, he's completely destroyed. Although the last time we see him, he throws a football to kids and then he smiles. Yeah, then he smiles. But I was thinking more so the plays leading up to that end when he's like, I love you guys. That's true. This sport actually does mean something to him. And there's that scene with the recruiters from Kansas something or other. And they're speaking to him, and they actually ask him, do you love this game, or do you actually like football, or are you just doing it to get out of this town? And he kind of pauses for a split second. He doesn't love the game. Yes. <laughs> of course. He's lying. Uh, I don't think he, he does. It's just like something you do if you're, at this time, a male kid in Texas. I think you just play Pop Warner football, and then you continue playing, and then you realize you're pretty good, so maybe this is your ticket out. And I think that's just what happened to him. Right? And then Don got pushed in probably by his father. He seems to like it more than Mike does. But not that much more. Booby does love it. It's oh. one of the tragedies of health and bodies is that Booby Miles is so talented and seems to love playing the game. And it's almost like if somebody could just give them their ACL, somebody who doesn't need to have a athlete-level ACL, because obviously Booby can still walk with this tear in his leg. Yeah. He seems to have it for weeks, and he's walking around. But somebody who doesn't need that leg anyway, maybe they, I don't know, they're paralyzed, whatever, or they just don't have an athlete's chance... Let him have your leg kind of thing. And it's like that whole thing about Christopher Reeve when he broke his neck. He's still this brawny, six foot four, powerful guy. He was maybe middle-aged, but had such a long career ahead of him. And yet because he has a fall from a horse, he doesn't ever move again. Why can't we fix bodies better than this? It's a shame. And when Booby does get hurt, by the way, getting back to Gary Gaines, this may be the best moment that Billy Bob has in the whole film. When he hears what's going on, and of course they don't even know the real oh, test right. later on, he puts on the brave face for the team, smiles. He's going to be fine. Going to be out a week. Good game tonight, guys, because they did win that game. Yeah, go have some fun. And as soon as he turns around and no one can see him, the smile falls. Yeah. Little moments like that make this movie. It's not the most subtle movie in the world, but sometimes in those kinds of scenes, it is. 
I wish in looking up a little bit of the backstory of this movie, I'd been able to find a bit more information about the real-life player that Booby was based off of. I would love to know if he actually did what this movie portrays, get hurt and try to come back and then get hurt way worse. Another reasonably good question, but then this is maybe just coaching. Maybe the answer for that is this is just what coaches do, especially when they're under this much pressure. And the guy, if he can play, is a game changer, a difference maker. But if he doesn't start him, because Booby's on the sidelines when he comes back in that one game for a long time, and finally he goes in there, and right away his leg can't hold his weight. He gets absolutely destroyed. He's done. But if the coach doesn't have faith to put him in there to start the game, then why do you let him suit up at all? The coach doesn't have faith that leg is good. He doesn't believe them when they tell him that's fine. No, I agree. And I think, in my mind, watching that scene, it made a lot of sense to me because you can see his discussion with Booby and his uncle beforehand. Mm. You can tell that the character does not believe either one of them when they say, Doc gave us a cleaning bill of health. We're good to yeah. go. Let me turn to LV. Let me turn to the responsible adult. 100% coach. It's clear that Gaines doesn't believe that, but you know what? The player says he's good. The uncle says he's good. He's your best player. So, all right. I appreciate the coach's position in that situation because if he says, I don't believe you, you're not playing, get out. And then Booby, the uncle, goes to the local radio station and says, hey, I'm good to play and coach won't let me and our team's losing because of it. Then if you're in Gaines' position, you're out. So he's in a no-win situation. I understand. You let him dress, even if you don't believe he's healthy. But then you're losing. At that point, I think they were losing by a touchdown or something in that particular game and can't get any offense going. And you're down to the fourth quarter with a few minutes left. I agree with you. I don't think he believed that Booby Miles was healthy, or 100% healthy, certainly. But, like you said, he's a game changer. He's the best player you've got on your team on, okay. the, on the offensive side by a mile. And if you're thinking, yeah, well, you're if I lose this, this game, I might be done. Yeah, you're answering this question quite nicely because that's that old adage about, I don't know, Mike Trout would be the example in baseball right now. His second beer has been open. What's this one called, by the way? Oh, this is just an old standby. The go-ahead Okay. Which is actually applicable to exactly what we're talking Mm -hmm. about right now with the team about to go ahead of their opponents. So Mike Trout in baseball, or a better example would be Tom Brady still in football, them at 80% or 70% is still better than most players in the league. And maybe that's the logic here with playing Booby. You're right. I suppose that's true. I do love the way that Derek Luke plays the scenes with the doctor. The doctor had even said he was from some other rival team. The doctor's probably being honest with them because he could lose his license if it somehow found out that he was lying about the extent of the tear in the ACL. So he's probably telling the truth, but it's a very human response to say, you can't tell me what to do. You don't know me. My body's fine. I can get through this because he wants to will himself through it. And maybe Booby does feel fine because he's just walking around normally. And maybe in practices and warm-ups and that kind of stuff, eh, it feels a little bit. I've got a brace on there, but I can get through it. But then when you're playing a game, you cut hard and these huge guys are coming at you, then the leg can't take that. Exactly. Or he's lying to himself completely and all through that stuff. (laughs) It hurt to do anything for all we know, but it doesn't seem like he's limping. But he is a part of the team in a good way. He wants to be there so badly during Coach's speech at halftime about can put those guys in your heart and all that kind of thing. That's what being perfect means to him. Not as good a speech, anything close to the Any Given Sunday speech that Pacino has. But Booby is there for them, and it's really cool to see that. And apparently the real Booby Miles is standing beside him in the scene when the coach is giving that big speech. And the real Booby is older, so maybe that's why he looks so much heavier. Obviously, he's been eating a lot of hamburgers in the intervening years. But he's physically bigger than Derek Luke, too, as in taller. Well, if you're a running back, especially in the 80s, I think you want it to be a big, burly guy, right? Okay, yeah. To address your thought about the doctor and Booby's response to the bad news about his ACL tear. One of the moments in this movie where I was almost screaming at the television, you idiot, he's trying to help you. If you go out in the field and you get hit, that's it for you. And of course, that's what's happening. But what has he got to lose? He has nothing else anyway. If his leg gets ripped right off, maybe in his mind, he's almost like one of those gladiators back in the day. Football players always meant that they're gladiators in the modern era. Oh, yeah. but Maybe that's his logic. I've got nothing else to lose. I'll give out all I have for this team and all I have for my future. So if I die, then went out my own way. No, but it's almost worse than that. He wasn't going to die. He wasn't going to die. But you see all the offers he has from these schools, right? He's being recruited heavily at the beginning of this movie. And he suffers a knee injury and he can't play. And I'm sure that's going to impact the amount of recruitment he gets. But I'm also sure that if he got surgery on that ACL after the first injury and couldn't play the rest of the season, and that would be terrible, but I'm certain there's still a school that would have recruited him because he is by far the best player in this division, apparently. So he would go somewhere. But if you play hurt and you just exacerbate that knee injury to the point where it's irredeemable, where you cannot repair it, then you're just done. It's more an indictment on the uncle because this guy is 16, 17, 18 years old. You can't expect him to have that kind of perspective. But the uncle is being complicit to destruction of his nephew's future football prospects. That was the sad thing. And that scene with the doctor in particular was kind of infuriating to me from that perspective, watching it as a 38-year-old guy 
watching an 18-year-old kid do what I'm sure 18-year-old kids do a lot. But also, it was a neat way to, I think, and maybe I'm looking a little bit too deeply into Peter Berg's intentions here. You've got a doctor, right? Probably pretty wealthy, top 5% of income earners in Texas, mm -hmm. most educated you're going to get. Not in oil, but otherwise he's doing pretty well. Yeah, you see oil rigs all over the place mm -hmm. in this movie too, which is kind of fun. But then you've got the two guys who are, especially Derek Luke, who's raging out about the news and accusing him of favoritism for the, I can't remember the city, the small town's name where this hospital is, but favoritism against Booby Miles because he's rooting for Booby to be out for the season so that the local team can advance to the playoffs or whatever. Mm. And the doctor just looks gobsmacked. What in the hell are you talking about? What football team? What do I care about high school football? Well, like, he does care. He talked about it earlier. But I think Booby's wrong in suggesting that he's yeah. actually lying to him about the knee injury. But the expression on the doctor's face in that scene when Booby's accusing him of favoritism on behalf of the high school football team is one of such disbelief. I only want to help you. I'm trying to help you. That I wondered if this was an attempt by the director to say, we've shown you the Odessa area and we've shown you their passion for the game and how widespread it is. But this is not a sport that necessarily, or an obsession that is necessarily 100% across the board. This is an obsession that the lower classes in this part of the country cling to because they don't have anything else. But these more educated folks, these ones that have achieved beyond, they let it go. Or they follow it in a healthier way. They're like, I'm aware That's of it. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah, they're more healthy about it. Yeah, and they don't have the same obsession and they've got it in perspective. But when you're in this very large segment of society in the American South where you don't have any prospects, there's societal barriers that are put in place to advancement. And this is all you got, then you don't have perspective. And there might have been some commentary there or maybe I was just looking into it. I think it there is much. commentary. I think you're absolutely hitting it perfectly well. Booby says to his uncle after he plays it tough with the team when he finally realizes that he's not going to play, he takes all his stuff out of the locker room and he's playing it cool, especially with Comer. Go get him. He's supportive, which is cool. That hit me too, that scene that yeah, you're about to Yeah, because he goes out to the car with his uncle, breaks down and cries. Yeah. He must be on the verge of tears that whole time and he's barely holding it in. But when he goes outside with the uncle, then he can finally... And Grover Colson as the uncle is pretty good in this movie too. L.V. Miles, that's his name. The scene when... Booby first gets hurt, and the way he looks around, I was if the media say, did you see that? No, you didn't see it. Not the media, but the scouts. You didn't see that? No, you didn't see that, because he knows. They all know that yeah. Booby's in trouble. But yeah, that's a very emotional moment in the car when Booby can finally break down. But these two are living in denial, and maybe it's understandable. Well, it definitely is understandable, because it reminds me of the line in Silence of the Lambs. I'm going to paraphrase here. Getting out. Getting anywhere. Getting all the way to the NFL. And in that case, it's the FBI. I think all of us, or most of us probably, at some point in our lives have looked towards our future and said, what is that going to look like for me? What am I going to do? I don't really have a direction right now. In the case of Booby Miles, he's only ever had one laser-focused direction, mm. right? He's football-obsessed. It's football-obsessed, and he says it earlier in the movie, all there is is football. And when that is just unequivocally taken away from him to the point where, like you said, denial is not an option anymore. He knows. That's it. Can you imagine what that must mean for somebody to have that kind of realization where the only thing that offered you any hope in your life for and, the entirety of your adult... And you loved it, unlike Mike. And now it's just gone. And you have nothing yeah. else. This is a dark thing to say, but I'm going to suggest it. I could see a person like this putting a bullet in his mouth. Absolutely. And I think they did a good thing in not portraying it that way because that would have added a really dark tone to this movie. Mm. But to have that moment of realization, like you said earlier, where he sees the garbage man picking up the trash. That's and realize, me in a couple of years, or maybe next year. I don't know how to interpret that scene either. I don't know if it was meant to be a kind of like, oh, crap, that's going to be me. Or, you know what? There is life beyond NFL, because that's what he's focused mm -hmm. on. Maybe it's not going to be glamorous, but it'll be life, and I'll find a way to make some money, and I'll have something. And then that's when he rejoins the team, and he watches them play the final As game. As a pseudo-coach. As a pseudo-coach. Moral support. So I thought his arc of all of the players because i mentioned earlier i didn't think there was a ton of character development on an individual basis but he has it he has it well peter berg i think did a great job directing this movie he did hancock a couple years later big hit intercut a lot of real permanent footage when he could so it feels even more real because the depiction of the sport on this i think is outstanding these guys seem like they're good athletes yeah. including Derek luke never been a football player before one thing they do not really touch on, except very briefly in the big game, is there's not much in the way of concussions. And I think any football movie, mm. if they're going to be honest, certainly now, and of course this movie is 15 years old, so it's not now, but you need to portray the fact that these guys are having their brains scrambled over and over and over for years on every play they have because people talk about how it isn't about you have to get your head hit. It's just simply landing aggressively, doing something aggressive because your brain rattles inside of your fucking head. 
So that's one thing that's not portrayed all that well, except when Comer gets knocked loopy and goes to the wrong sideline. Yeah. So that obviously is a concussion situation, but then obviously he's fine because he plays next year and he's championship level running back for them. Concussions is not addressed here. I don't know if part of that is the era. I don't know if part of it is, like you said earlier, adding too much detail in any element of this movie and all of a sudden three hours two hours. Or at least two and a half, yeah. We also never see punting or place kicking. The Dallas Carter team never place kicks, apparently, so that's a theme with them. But (laughs) you rarely see free throws in most basketball movies. We've talked about that in some of you pro and Hoosiers, that only when it really matters that there are ever free throws. Well, there's a lot more punting and place kicking, even with high-powered offensive teams, than these two that we've seen, the main ones at least, ever do. They do a very narrow focus on the in-game footage in this movie. Just passing and running. Just passing and running. There is some real-life footage being used, especially in the montage scenes. I didn't pick up on it. That was done really well. Even the stuff that was done with the actors, I thought, was done quite well. That final game against Dallas Carter is so visceral in the way they just beat the ever-loving snot out of Permian. Permian's small even when the movie starts, and they're supposed to be this state championship caliber team. We're going to use our speed. When Booby is still the main guy on the team, they're supposed to be small compared to everybody else, and they're certainly small compared to a powerhouse like Dallas Carter. How many times in that final game did you see somebody get hit low hit up in the air and spinning, and then a second Dallas Carter yeah. player smacks him in midair. And these are still effectively children. Yeah. So you better enjoy this now. Brutal. because, And this is the last game that most of them are ever going to play. An organized football game. They can play flag football or touch football with their friends, I guess, or getting to some kind of league maybe. But at this level, it's the last time they'll ever do this. So they better enjoy it because their brain may not let them do it again. Yeah. Or their knees, or their back. The one guy gets hit from behind after oh the whistle, God. and Gaines says something about, what the hell, he was hit, and the referee doesn't say anything. There were a couple of moments, and I think one of them in particular was in that final game against Dallas Carter when, it might have been Preacher, or it might have been Mike, I can't remember the specific character, but he just gets plastered silly, and all you see is Coach Gaines saying, get up, boy, get up, get mm-hmm. up, and then staggers to his feet, yeah, that's a concussion, you might be crippled for life after that hit. Meanwhile, the crowd's going crazy. Mm. The announcers are talking about what a tough game this is, but how much heart they're showing. That's why we love football. These are 16 and 17-year-old kids. That's why I said we. That's why people love football. They want to see this kind of thing. It's like why they watch car racing. They want to see the wrecks. We're in Toronto and Canada, and hockey's the big thing here. It's the same argument that's made for fighting in hockey. I think it's stupid. I think Mm. it has no place. I think it kills the game, the flow of the game. I don't understand it. And fortunately, it's almost organically made its way out of hockey now. Mm. It's at an all-time low. But it's like football. You watch it for the punishment that these guys take. Listen, if you're an adult, if somebody has the right to vote, the right to serve their country in the army, who am I to say that you can't go play a game that might injure you when you know that's a risk you're taking willingly? But if you're doing it for money, you know the risks. Well, I don't think they do know the risks enough. They didn't back then. When the movie set or 2004, I don't think they really knew. No, I don't think so either. But in 2019, if you know as much as you can be educated on and you're willing to take any risk. That's different, yeah. And for a lot of them, that is the other element of this movie is you see the obsession of the fans and they're all, by and large, lower middle class folks, at best middle class folks. You're right in saying that only a minute fraction of them will ever make it. But it's like the light at the end of the tunnel for some of them. So if you're willing to take that risk to try to get that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and it's a freaking huge pot of gold if you get there, right? Because it could be millions of dollars. Mm. Then that's one thing. But when you're a young man slash child, many of them probably don't even have a choice in the matter. If you're Don Billingsley, you don't have a choice in this. I'm sure your dad made you do this your entire life. Mm. That's a whole different thing, because these kids, like you said, were suffering concussions, they might be suffering life-altering injuries, and it's something that they may or may not want to do, and they're certainly not doing it for financial benefit or to benefit themselves Mm. and the families. This accomplishes next to nothing for them, except maybe to help them get a post-secondary education. And provide entertainment for the town, because obviously that's one of the only things they have for entertainment, I think, in this town. But they do get to watch their team nearly win the championship. It's a similar ending to the Rams-Titans Super Bowl in 1999, when the Titans were stopped at the one-yard line. Yeah. I think they would have tied it. They wouldn't have won the game on that play had they scored. But the guy barely missed getting in, as does Mike in this on a quarterback sneak. He's desperate, though. I think he wanted to throw the ball, but he had no other choice but to run it. And then I guess you could just say that, Gary Gaines, you lost eight by one yard. Now get the fuck out. (laughs) Although, obviously, he doesn't actually leave. But that was the suggestion before that game even happened because the boosters are on him all through the movie. But then when they're going to state, those two guys drive up in the car. Oh, I'm getting flowers for the ladies. And whatever they say implies basically win or else. Yeah. When he's going to state with this underdog team that's already too small that lost their best player, why are you still on him? But they're implying if he doesn't win right? that he's out. But at the end of the movie, everybody seems to have 
Well, you don't really see those boosters, I don't think, that much in the crowd. You see a lot more of Charles watching Don. But I guess you could argue that everything is forgiven because at the end you see the big board and the coach is taking all the names down and replacing them because it's a spoke in the wheel. No matter how talented you are, even if Booby had not gotten hurt, it was his last year anyway. He was going to be graduating. He was a spoke on the wheel, and Gary's got to make it with another team. A whole new quarterback, in fact, and all these other That's great right. players are going. Ivory is going to graduate, and so is Don, so is Brian, and so is Mike, of course. Chris Comer is one of the only ones we see portrayed as one of the players who's actually staying. That scene at the end of the movie just reiterates the fact it is just a constant churn of kids coming through this, and whether or not you're successful, whether or not you get hurt, you're just going to get replaced next year because you're moving on anyway. It was a hell of a thing to have these boosters threaten the continued employment of the coach of one of the best two teams in the state. What kind of undercut things a little bit for me was two things. One, I think a gripe I've had of a few movies that we've watched in that I really just wish that movies would rely on the strength of their performances or screenwriting and not feel like they have to go to the nth degree in in-game drama all the time. Because you don't have to have Permian go down, whatever it was, 24 nothing or something in the first quarter. It's not that much, I don't think. But it's huge. They're down 14 at least. More than that. They're down 20 plus points before they put anything up on the board. And I think at halftime, it's something like 28-7 or something like that. The reality was they lost 14-9. And you can have a gritty, brutal game. That Wait, it, you just said they're down by 20 plus points. How'd they lose 14-9? Oh, sorry. I mean, in real life. Oh, okay. In the semifinals, Permian lost to this, okay. this team 14-9. But you can have that kind of punishing game that Dallas Carter lays on Permian, but still have it be a defensive slog, right? sure, where yeah. it's a close game and you still lose. Because Permian's defense is good too. Exactly. I don't think you need to have this massive swing back and forth. What kind of made me almost laugh a little bit at the end of it all was the text over each individual player as, yeah. they, as their name is pulled off the board. Most of them went to some kind of college. Yeah, exactly. Some players, we care about that. And I think Preacher, they said, was the only one that actually played football in Division One right. post-secondary. But his job now is not in football at that point. Well, that no. was also many years later. No, he was a long-haul but... truck driver or so something was, at, yeah. at the time. Mm. But then after all the players go through their little text scrolls, you get a graphic of the next year... Permian goes undefeated and wins the state championship. Okay, so in 88, we just watched them go through this brutal season and end up losing. You feel this emotional connection. The defeat. agony of defeat. Agony of defeat. In slow-mo. And then the next year, oh, they went undefeated yeah. and won. Let's oh. get rid of these losers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. All these talented idiots. Get rid of them and we can be better somehow. <laughs> exactly. I would have preferred if you didn't tell me that. I don't think I need to know that 89 maybe, is a way better team than Maybe the coach should have been playing the juniors, not the seniors, if they were that good that they could go undefeated. Exactly. Or Dallas Carter and everybody else just were sucking the next year themselves. That's when awesome they lost thing. their losers, talented players that got out of there. Yeah, the movie's very somber, but I find it very moving. It is And that moving. slow motion, agony, defeat thing, like I said, I've watched on YouTube plenty of times. It's one of my go-tos to get the feels. But it may not be quite as effective next time because of the Billingsley thing. Feels like it isn't quite as effective as it was. All right, so we talked about Peter Burr being the director. The one thing I don't like about this movie, and probably all of his films I think this is true about, he moves the camera way too much. So yes. jittery, and the tight close-ups. He likes those tight, jittery I think shots. he did a good job directing this movie for the most part because if it's managing tone, which M. Night Shyamalan says what directing is to him is the main thing, people may rip on that guy, but I feel like that's probably a pretty fair point to make. So if it is, the tone is maintained. It isn't a fun movie, but it hits at what it's going for. And I think there's more depth in here than maybe some people, including you, might have really given it credit for with how they're telling the story with little moments, like seeing the trash people. The book was Buzz Bissinger. Bissinger? Bissinger? Maybe it's Bissinger. Great I, name. Yeah. Great name. His nickname is Buzz. H.G. Bissinger. Yeah. So Friday Night Lights, a town, a team, and a dream. And then Buzz is Berg's cousin. So they're related. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, I was that's, that that's quite a earlier. connection. That's interesting, because I think Linklater or something was trying to adapt Richard that Linklater? first. Yeah. yeah. And then it didn't work out, for, I think, for budget reasons or something. So Berg... I don't think he would have done the same kind of job as this. It would have been different anyway, but I don't think it would have been as good. That's just interesting. And that... I like him as a director better than Burke, though. I would agree with that. But that he was the first one to try to adapt the book. And then after he fails, the author's cousin is the one that ends up taking up the book. That's kind <laughs> it's of who you know sometimes, isn't it? I had never seen this movie in its entirety until we watched it for this. Okay. This is the first time I've seen it through. You can never describe it as fun in like a feel-good kind of way. And there's no moody lighting like on any given Sunday. This movie's way more realistic. It is, yeah. It's the kind of light you see in stadiums. It's like halogen, the harsh halogen go. lighting. Any given Sunday, you get some of those really dark, moody kind of things, which is not realistic at all. And they've desaturated as well. They dim the color, and a lot of it is a grainy, not quite sepia-toned kind of shot, but close to well, it. Well, Permian's also, their colors are black and white. The colors are black and white. It's a dust bowl-looking area of the town. Everything is just sapped of a little bit of color, and I think that just helps add to the sense of 
being this poor area, this downtrodden group of people. They try to reinforce that idea of this being a passion for the state, but a passion in particular of a certain segment of the population of the state. And everything they tried to do just seemed to me to reinforce that fact. And it is emotionally affecting at various points. There's no point in this movie where I wanted to openly weep as I might mm. with like Field of Dreams or something. It was always going to yeah. get me tearing up at some point. But without question, I felt for these kids and these characters more than once, and even for Coach Gaines at various yeah. points. That's so what I, movies are supposed to be. Exactly. Whatever it is, they want to make you feel scared or laugh or in love with the movie or love the characters or whatever. That's right. And this one succeeds on that basis. Can't of ask for much Making you care that. about these guys. So how were those two beers? That beer was not perfect today. Okay. Maybe it'll be perfect tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll be perfect, right? That's what that's called. Yeah. So, in two weeks, we'll cover our second wrestling movie, only this one isn't a doofus comedy like Ready to Rumble. This time we'll slice our foreheads and roll around in our underwear. Okay, we'll watch people do that. We won't do it ourselves. Whoa, 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 whoa. Never say never, well, right? Okay. feel free. All right. When we watch The Wrestler, second Darren Aronofsky movie for me in a matter of weeks because Bev and I just recently covered Mother. He never recasts the same lead actor. Maybe they're in some smaller role I can't think of, but they're never the main star. And in every case, the lead actor is either good or great. And Mickey Rourke in this movie was the one I chose. Our coming attractions trivia was a coming attractions opinion. Who is the best actor in all these movies that Aronofsky has directed? I picked Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. I think it's one of the great performances of the last 20 or 30 years. Unlike Friday Night Lights, The Wrestler is a movie I've seen a number of times since it was released, and it's a movie I quite like. Mickey Rourke is fantastic. He clearly gave everything he had into that role. So we're on Stitcher and on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Of course, www.top100project.com is the website. Mm, take reason, dudes. <laughs> French fried taters. French fried potatoes. I know that's your will. Mm-hmm.